Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GAA All Ireland Under 20 and Senior Hurling Championships. Hashtag Hurling to the Core. Hello and welcome to the Throw In Independent.ie's GAA podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined as always by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. How's it going, Will? Not too bad. I'm loving your Christmas tree in the background. Very festive start to this podcast. A lot of effort put into that. I won't lie. A lot of effort. Yeah, nice bit of colour even though. I just turned on the lights specifically for the podcast. It wouldn't normally be on at this hour of the day. No, it's, it's looking well. It's looking well. So we're going to be looking back over the weekend's football semi-finals with Martin Brandy and Conor McKeown in just a minute. But first, I think we should start with what's actually been the big story of the weekend. And that was the ladies' football semi-final between Cork and Galway yesterday. I know you were there for the end though. Probably wasn't expecting your day to unfold quite the way it did in terms of, uh, of, of work. You know, the, the there was a switch in venue. There was the, the rush for, from Galway to ha- even get there. And then they had to, you know, do a very quick warm up and the, the, the throwing was brought forward. Like, give us a sense of what unfolded yesterday. It doesn't seem to be a very good look for for everyone involved. No, I'd say you probably have to set the scene even to earlier on in the week. The game was initially fixed for the, the Gaelic grounds in Limerick. Uh, and then I think it was either Monday or Tuesday, it was announced that obviously Limerick, Limerick's preparations for the All-Ireland takes precedence. So they were training there. They were going to be training there on Sunday morning. So uh, Sunday morning slash afternoon. So the game was then changed to Parnell Park. You're talking about an All-Ireland final between Cork you know at the bottom uh, the bottom south you know southwesterly tip of Ireland and then Galway on the west of Ireland as well coming all the way to Parnell Park which was just that just seemed bizarre and you know the Cork boss Eva Fitzgerald had a bit of a broadside at LJFA during the week over that and said it wouldn't happen in the women's game but they got on with it anyway and they booked a, a hotel they stayed out in the Clayton Hotel out by the airport um, and they got word then at half 11 match was fixed for half one in Parnell Park. It got word at half 11 that the game had been changed to Crow Park and brought forward to one o'clock. They kind of rushed the girls into a room, said what's happening. He even said like the girls were laughing at him. They were like, no, no, you're messing. Like this isn't actually what's happening. But it was what's happening. So the game was after being brought forward to one o'clock in Crow Park. Galway were in Kinnegad. Uh, they had a convoy of cars on the way to the match. They were driving on the day. That's when they found out. So that was around 11 o'clock. They had to get through you know, busy, busy traffic and get to Crow Park as quick as they could. They got to Crow Park for a half, 12, I think. By the time they got out in the pitch, it was three minutes after one. They had seven minutes of a warm-up before the, before the game started. Uh, they actually started okay in the first couple of minutes, but realistically, Cork had the game put to bed by 17 minutes. 
uh, two, three to two points, Kiro Sullivan really kind of pulling the strings for Cork. But like after the game, it just got even, it just got even messier. So it was communicated to the reporters at the match that the uh, LGFA were not making anyone available for interview after. So we were sitting in the Hogan stand. We weren't in the press box in Crow Park because we weren't supposed to be there. And uh, just on top of that as well, the game was supposed... This is just really messy. The game was obviously supposed to be televised live on TG Carr, who are the competition sponsors. And because the game was changed so late, uh, the pitch inspection was, uh, to the best of my knowledge, it was only announced that uh, just before 11 that the game was called off could have been surely announced a lot earlier mm. that the pitch was frozen. I know the Punchestown races yesterday, they were monitoring at 7 in the morning, 9 in the morning, 11 in the morning, and actually eventually ended up cancelling after the third or fourth race. I don't know when the pitch exactly was inspected, but it surely could have been done a lot earlier. But as I said, the, the, the reporters were told that there would be no media briefings after. So myself and uh, Owen Conrican from the Examiner just said we'd said we'd take a chance, and we, we went around to the Cusick stand and, kind of looked like we were being busy and looked like we were important and nip, nipped in and interviewed the Cork manager, Aoife Fitzgerald, who just like said it was a kick in the teeth for, for the women's game, which it was just such short notice. Um, they incurred massive costs, like 50 separate hotel rooms to, in Dublin on Saturday night yeah. for a game that really could have been played in Ennis, Turles, Nina, could have been played in my own club in Borough, could have been played in Tullamore, could have been played in numerous places, not in Dublin. And uh, Tim Rabbit then, he didn't actually, he was actually relatively calm, the Galway manager, after the game. But he, he, he later expanded his thoughts, I suppose, just to say that like, if he, he, he probably regretted the fact that they didn't walk off the pitch. It's seven minutes to warm up for an All Ireland semi final. It's been a really regressive week for women's sport, I would say, and a regressive week for the LGFA. And just, yeah, just to come in on the LGFA, I know the president, Marie Hickey, was on Morning Ireland this morning and kind of laid the blame, or, or laid the blame maybe, but kind of when asked about the warm up, something warm, saying, oh, well, Galway spent way too, you know, too much time in the dressing room, kind of throwing it back on them, which I thought was grossly unfair given how things unfolded on the day itself to kind of push any blame onto the Galway players who, I think, as Tim Rabbit said, probably would have been well within their rights to, uh, to to walk off. But as you say, you know, a very disappointing day for women's sport, for, for ladies' football. and Just on that, Will, like if you have 25 or 30 cars arriving, they're obviously not arriving at the same time. They've probably all gone different ways. There's no way they were all in the dressing room at mm. the same time. Uh, I don't think you'd have a case where an inter-county team would go out and start warming up in dribs and drabs. I'm sure they were trying to get a bit of strapping on, trying to do... Yeah, I know myself I'd be doing uh, glute activation or hamstring activation or some mobility work or something like that um, so I'd like to say that they were you know they, they spent too long in the dressing room was uh, like I, I think they're kind of passing the book there in, in many respects but just uh, a really regressive day in fairness the LGFA came out with a statement and said that you know the health and welfare of the players was always to the forefront with this decision being made but just there's there's a kind of a chain of events here that really shouldn't have happened, and it's 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 a bad look for particularly in 2020 and with the 2020 movement. It's just it's a very bad look uh, for women's sport, I would say. No, definitely, and I'm hoping that we can maybe get a bit more clarity as the week goes on about exactly what unfolded on the day, and maybe get some of the other details about you know why pitch inspections weren't done at certain times and why certain venues might have been ruled out. But we might hear that later in the week. But just before we move on to the weekend's action with Martin and Connor, first a reminder that Board Gosh Energy are getting inside the living rooms of Hurling's most passionate fans. Share your Gaga Box moments using hashtag Hurling to the Core to be in with a chance of winning unmissable rewards thanks to Board Gosh Energy. And now we are going to discuss the weekend's action. I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Brehney and Connor McKeown. Guys, how are things? 
Hello, well. And Conor, I suppose we got an all Ireland final pairing that hopefully will, will give us a, a competitive and an exciting finish to the championship. But I guess the way we got there over the weekend, you know, didn't do too much to, to raise the blood pressure in the end. Dublin, quite, you know, comfortable winners over Calvin Mayo, likewise over Tipperary. And it's kind of, again, brought a lot of conversations about the state of, of play in the football championship and, and the direction it's going in. Like, what are your thoughts as we sit here this morning reflecting on the weekend? Well, uh, I have to say I wasn't really prepared for the hysteria that Dublin beating Cavan by 13 points or 15 points uh, brought on. I'm not exactly sure what people were expecting in that situation. I know Cavan were Ulster champions, but like they were relegated to Division 3 and, and they were outsiders for three or four games in Ulster. And like as we know, Dublin, you know, they brought the thing to a new level and they have a manager in Desi Farrell who suffered an awful lot of sort of painful and surprised defeats as a player and as a manager in his underage days. So, like, the, you know, the thoughts of Dublin going into that game and doing anything other than, you know, producing the best performance it possibly could, you know, that that that, that was never going to happen. Um, and I think it's probably the way they play the game as well that makes it, you know, so disheartening for other teams as well. You know, that they, they, they can keep the ball so well, they can they can score at will, they turn teams over. You know, there are, there are stages and matches where all... 15 players look to be quicker and stronger than all 15 of the opposition players. Now, they're not, but that's the way it's made look because that's how the game sort of disintegrates towards the end. Um, and, and look, I think a lot of people are, are kind of sick of Dublin winning, which is understandable. Like, you know, a monopoly is not good for any competition. Um, but I think the way it's vented has become quite strange. You know, uh, I think people, you know, there's a sense of injustice out there now. And I think the people are equating Dublin's dominance um, with the amount of um, development funding that we receive. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's kind of diagnosing the issue. Um, and I'm not really sure that there's any way of kind of putting the genie back in the bottle. I don't think Dublin are going to regress in any significant way, regardless of what you do, you know, to their levels of funding and everything else. Um, but I have to say, by halftime yesterday, I was very encouraged that we get a, an All-Ireland final, a really good All-Ireland final, because Mayo absolutely looked in top form, particularly after the first 10 minutes. But uh, I think as the game wore on and Tipperary started creating so many goal chances and finished with 3-13, a huge score for a losing team in an All-Ireland semi-final, um, you're kind of looking at it and just wondering whether Mayo have it to put up to double. So, uh, look, I think for the sake of this conversation, and so we don't have to listen to it endlessly between now and next year's All-Ireland final, I think it's imperative now that we have a, a good competitive All-Ireland final because... You know, it's not doing anybody any good just to watch Dublin win these games. But look, we have to be realistic about it too. Dublin have played four teams so far in the championship, and you know, the only one there they're in Division One are Mead, and, and they didn't win any of their seven games. So, you know, they haven't had a very difficult path to an All Ireland final. Like in the first lockdown, I think we, you know, we did one of these podcasts, and if you drew up a list of Dublin's possible um, rivals for the All Ireland, we'd have had Kerry, Donegal, and Galway in the top three, probably, or definitely three of the top four, and for various different reasons they didn't get this far so look I, I think this will be the first proper test of Dublin in the All-Ireland final and I think you know I think Mayo now physically and athletically and everything else they look in a better position to give Dublin a game than they did in last year's semi-final Yeah Martin as was Connor mentioned there the way the championship has unfolded not only with you know Donegal and Kerry being upset but I suppose the, just the knockout nature of it where there's no back door has mean that while Dublin came into this championship a lot of people were tipping maybe Kerry to take them down or, or maybe some changeover from Jim Gavin that Desi Farrell to have an impact. You know, they, they've averaged 18-point victories along the way. Like, after what you saw the weekend, do you think Mayo could be a team that could close the gap, potentially even cause an upset? Yeah, I do. It certainly will close the gap. And, 
you see, Conor is right in a number of headings there. For, for, first of all, uh, Dublin had fewer games this year, so so did Mayo because of the no the no super eight, so no 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 qualifier. So if you look at it, and realistically, you have to say that Cavan and Tipperary are the top ten uh, in, the, in the country. If you're actually rating them, they were Munster and also champions. Fair play to them. Nobody fantastic wins for them, but. Tipperary are not the best team in Munster, and Cavan, you could, you know, the, the, okay, they beat they beat Monaghan, they beat uh, Donegal in the in the the also. But if you were if you were uh, rating them, one to, would would you have Cavan as the top team in also? No, you wouldn't. And yet they were the All Ireland semi final. That's just the nature of it this year. But Kerry must really be kicking themselves when they saw what happened yesterday, and they say, how in hell, did, how did we lose to Cork, and then uh, because Cork clearly. When particularly going in the monster final, they didn't. They didn't read. Uh, they were quite poor actually. So, it, it's a strange. It's a strange championship. That and I, I, I agree with Connor on this. I think this knee-jerk reaction about, about Dublin. There are issues that need to be addressed. There's no question whatsoever about that. And the funding is one of them. Again, not, not to cut Dublin's funding, but you've got to look at the the income that Dublin can generate. There are clubs in Dublin that can generate more than a lot of county than, than county boards around the country. And the funding model. The overall funding model has to be looked at to see is there any way of equalising that? Because if you have a situation where uh, uh, Dublin can generate so much, and let's be fair, they can. I mean, their, their, their sponsors falling over their ears, for instance, where smaller counties can't, can't get them at all. So you've got to look at the overall funding model, but you've also got to look at the championship structure before you start talking about dividing Dublin or two or three teams or whatever. And the structure is basically fundamentally and inherently wrong in that Leinster is very poor, has been very poor. Connor pointed out they'll meet Division 1 team this year, but they really weren't a Division 1 team in name only, didn't win a single game. And that's after 13 years of being in Division 2 and Division 3. You need to look at that, uh, that the model for the All-Ireland, a model that is fair to all counties. It is inherently unfair at the moment because Leinster is so poor and Dublin walks through every year. I mean, if, for instance, Dublin had to go to Donegal in the first round, or down to Castlebar, down to Kerry or to Galway, whatever, They'd probably win, by the way, but the, the margins wouldn't be the same because the big margins have been involving Leinster teams. The system has to be looked at. It's not fit for purpose. It clearly hasn't. And the provincial championship, do we retain a provincial championship, for instance, so that there's great hoo-ha when uh, Tipperary won the first time in 85 years, Cavan first time in 1997, say Clare in 92, what was it, uh, 67 years or whatever. That's not a good enough reason to retain a provincial championship that's unfair, imbalanced, and is helping the problem now that problem can be can be fixed can be addressed and fixed uh, long way ahead of uh, saying well let's split Dublin into two yeah Michael I think Martin makes a good point there and I know Pat Gilroy's appearance in Sunday game kind of drew a lot of uh, conversation last night but one point he made that I thought was a good one was like to diagnose the problem first like what's the what is the big issue is it Dublin's funding is it their dominance is it that structures as Martin says there doesn't seem to be a willingness at the moment to really engage with what's happening in terms of coming up with, I know they're, they're looking at a fixture task force and we'll see what they come up with, but there, there doesn't seem to be a conversation about like, what is the actual issue and what do we do to, to solve it? There's a lot of, as Martin says, some, some, you know, kind of every Dublin win seems to produce more and more, I suppose, heightened uh, conversations, but how are we getting any closer to getting to the crux of, of what the issue is? And I'm not, I'm not saying that I, know what the issue is but is there really a, a kind of a concentrated effort to, to find out what it is to fix it so as martin says we have a more equitable structure going forward yeah no just with regard to like throwing money at the problems like chances are the money if you if you're throwing money at uh, you know county boards maybe who aren't equipped to invest that money correctly and use it wisely um you're essentially throwing money away you're throwing it into a hole in fairness all the money 
And the funding that's going to Dublin has been really, really wisely invested and they're absolutely milking everything they can out of every bit of funding they're getting. Um, they obviously have a CEO in John Costello who's obviously phenomenal at his job. We don't, we don't hear much from him. Uh, we just hear a lot of compliments about him and the structures that they've put in place um, commercially, coaching-wise, everything. I thought it was interesting, Pat Gilroy saying last night that uh, Dublin offered their you know, commercial expertise and inverted commas to, to other, commas, other counties within Leinster and none of them took them up on that, which I thought, which I thought was interesting, um, probably a, a, an indictment of some of those county boards, if that, if that is true, because essentially you're getting, you know, you're getting wise words and knowledge from the best and they didn't take it. Um, I would just say, like, I think Pat Gilroy was right in what he said. Now, there was, there was some mad things in what he said, even some of the amalgamations. And just because guys went to DCU together, um, Monaghan and Cavan and these guys that did, you know, happily play together at county level or whatever or was a, a bit bizarre. But definitely, like, if, if you're just throwing money at a problem, but you don't actually have a solution to the problem, then the problem will just continue to grow and grow. So that that that's part of it. I think, you know, there's a lot of county boards there that just would not be able to afford to put a CEO in place. But I see it at club level myself uh, in Bar in my own club. Like you find it harder and harder to get volunteers within clubs, and there's an awful lot of work at club level. So the work of a chairman at county board level is, you know, you could be talking forty or fifty hours a week. And they're doing it at a volunteer level. Probably chances are they probably work nine to five day, and then they're trying to do a few hours in the morning, a few hours in the evening. That's not really sustainable. You can't put that up against you know somebody working nine to five at their job as a CEO of a county board. And there are definitely a lot of counties that are trailing far behind some of the bigger counties. Like I look at uh, even in my own club, we're kind of looking at looking at getting a GDA at the moment, uh, which will you'd be about twenty hours a week that we're going to share with two other clubs. When I compare that to many other clubs in, in Offaly and many other clubs outside of Dublin, we're trailing far behind. Um, but I definitely think we need to probably learn from the best. And if there's expertise and information and knowledge coming from those counties that are operating, you know, at a really, really, you know, efficient level, we should definitely take it. Yeah, Connor, that's another kind of point being raised is, you know, the structural kind of review that's needed across the board in various counties. So you have like that as an option. You have amalgamations, you know, splits, competition structures there's so many things being thrown around at the moment it's hard to know which one you know might be the silver bullet if there is one but it's a conversation that's definitely happening and and you know after the final depending on how it goes you know if it's a world where Dublin put in another big performance and another big win it's not going to be a celebration of six in a row on, on the Sunday game that night or the Monday morning papers it'll probably be this kind of conversation I'd imagine probably will <clears throat> sorry well they probably will um but I have to say, I think the GEA would be loathed uh, to dispense with the inter-county system as it currently is. You know, there's 32 counties in Ireland. You know, they all have their you know, defining characteristics. And I think everybody in those counties, you know, having a county team is a big thing. And once you start to split teams and amalgamate teams, I think that dilutes it in a very substantial way. And I'm not sure the GEA would be very quick to go down that road. Like, as we know, significant change at central level in GEA can be quite slow to come around. Like, look how long it has taken them, really, to, to um, you know, make changes to the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship format, when clearly, there's a, as Martin says, the provincial structure is, is completely broken. So, you know, like, you're talking about a nuclear option there with regards to amalgamating counties or splitting Dublin. Um, but, look, I think the, the issue here is... <laughs> 
you know, as Michael says, that, like if you're a county board official and, and you know, you have a, a normal job, as most of them do, the, like organizing fixtures and fundraising, is, you know, is a big part of your job. And the, and the discipline of high performance, as in putting together elite inter-county teams at various different grades all the way up to senior, that's a very sort of complex thing. And in a lot of counties, the people who are officers in the county board don't have that level of expertise. You know, like I've, I've spoken to people in the last few days who are involved in coaching at county level and management at county level. And they say, look, when you go into a county, you're, you know, and sometimes you're just throwing the keys to the dress room and, you know, here's a list of players and here's your selectors and off you go. And there's no sort of, there's no structured way to bring through talent, you know, and, and that way of putting together into county teams, a manager comes in, looks at the club scene, picks the best players, gets a few lads off the previous year's minor team, puts them all together and hopes that they raise their level of performance. That's not good enough anymore. Like you're, you're not going to succeed because there are teams like Dublin and Mayo, like, you know, that's a really high performance environment there as well. And like Kerry, I know they're having a bad year. And I think the, the whole conversation with Dublin is exacerbated by the fact that Kerry are having a bad year because, you know, I think a lot of people expected that Kerry were going to pull it to Dublin. But, you know, like that, that, that kind of high performance um, environment doesn't exist in many counties. You know, like you, you see county boards and, you know, they're, they're putting big money into appointing a high profile manager from outside the county. And that's fine. And I understand why they do that. But like what's going to happen in that situation? Like You get promotion from Division 3 or Division 4, wherever you are, and you might win a championship match that you don't usually win. But there's no structure around it to sustain that level of improvement or, or bring it on to the next level. So I think the problem is is sort of, you know, I think Dublin and the highest performing counties, and look at Limerick in Hurland, it's the exact same thing as well. Like Limerick are going to be strong for the next 10 years in Hurland. You can see the way their players are built. Like look at Dan Morrissey. Like there's a guy who's been involved in a, in a high performance setup from a very early age. You know, like counties like that are going to streak away that are, that are well organized. And, you know, Fair enough, the GAA, the, you know, the roof idea of the GAA is that county boards have autonomy for running their own affairs. But I'm not sure if we continue going the way that we're going that those counties are going to get any closer to the elite teams because I think there is some sort of intervention required at a central level. But I'm not sure to throw money at the problem. Actually, I'd be certain that throwing money at the problem isn't the solution to all of this because, as Michael says, in a lot of situations, county boards don't have the expertise to be able to harness that money properly. And like we all know counties as well where they have expertise in their county, you know, really good past players with a high level of knowledge about their sport or about coaching who actually aren't engaged at that level either because they wouldn't have any sort of relationship or any faith with the county board. So, yeah. You know, a lot of counties that are lagging behind for various different reasons, some of their own doing and some not their fault at all, aren't maximizing their potential. And, you know, if you take all of Dublin's natural advantages and you're not maximizing your own potential, you just don't have any chance of competing. Mm. Just a quick one on it, Will. Um, I think it's very easy and I'm guilty of doing it myself, as most people are, I'd say, is to rag on county boards or rag on the people who are involved in county boards. But at the end of the day, the majority of them are there because nobody else will do it. And their volunteer, volunteer jobs, a lot of the time, it's like a, a secretary's job at, at a club, uh, you know, a reasonably big club or a county level is a really, really, it's a horrible job unless you really, really love it because you're putting in 50 or 60 hours. And a lot of the time, it's easy to criticize who's there. But the reason they're there a lot of the time is because there's no, there is literally nobody else to do it. At that, that both club and county level in, I would say even probably half the counties in the country, a lot of the time is it's impossible 
possible to get people to do their jobs. So while it's easy to criticize, um, unless you know people can step up and a lot of the people that are criticizing can step up and take on these roles, um, those people are there because nobody else will do it a lot of the time. Mm. And Martin, just to finish up on this part of the discussion, we might touch on, so it's the on-field action in a second because we, we could probably fill up full podcast easily with this you know the, the talk of amalgamation or splitting counties like dublin like where do you stand on that you know with counties with small populations potentially merging in the coming years as maybe those counties more people go to the bigger cities or, or dublin as their population increases over the coming years more and more is there any merit in maybe having at least two teams well, uh, uh, there, there's merit. There's no doubt about that. But uh, whether now is the time to do it, I don't think it is. I think I think I go back to what I said. I think that you 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 can improve it first of all by just changing the structures. And I'll just make the example of Leitrim this year would have had to be just Common Mayo and Galway to win the Connacht title alone. You know, in fairness, put Dublin in that situation, they'd probably do it. But it's a test for a poor old Leitrim. So the smallest county, one of the smallest counties, and they knew that from last October. But no, amalgamating counties. Absolutely not. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you, were, if you have to amalgamate counties, then you have to scrap the inter-county system. Because you have say, who, how would you get agreement, by the way? And I, I cover my home, my home club in Galway, Kilkevin Clumbaran, but it's a two-parish club for, since its foundation. But it, it took a lot of uh, keeping a club together from two parishes. It can be difficult enough at times. So I'm just saying, so what do you do? Sligo and Leitrim, I'm just putting those forward say, I'd say they'd be great interest, all right, and they're going to a match saying, come on, Sligo, Leitrim. I mean, it just, just wouldn't work. Now, Liam Mulville, yeah. the former Director General, talked about this many, many, back indeed in, at a previous time when another team was dominating, when Kerry were dominating back in the late 70s and early early 80s. And he mentioned it. Now, I think he just threw it out there for, for uh, discussion purposes, really. But no, the minute you start having to amalgamate counties is the day of the inter- county system is is finished there's no in my view you cannot do it because where do you go uh, what what two counties in relation to dublin s- splitting it it's it's not now you don't do it you, you, you've got to wait a bit longer as well to see this could be just a uh, dublin will always be obviously be strong but we've got to bear in mind it, it's 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 over the last you know the way so long without being all that before it could happen it could happen it happened Kerry. the one of eight and eleven years right in in, in the 80s and uh, 70s and 80s went 11 years though winning it so I think that would be a real nuclear option to, to, to separate double at this stage. So, no, I don't think that would be necessary. That's not the way to go at the moment. But there are areas, which, as we talked about for the last 10, 15 minutes, that need to be looked at. In other words, help other counties, whether that's financially or whatever, but also perhaps make Dublin more uh, reliant on their own resources financially because they do have, they, do have, uh, they, 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 they can tap into incredible, uh, incredible amounts of uh, sponsorship that other counties can't. Yeah, and Conor, I suppose on the point about Dublin and maybe the generational element of it, I suppose, I know last night, the Sunday game, we're comparing the 2011 team to this team, which, you know, 10 years apart, I don't think is a particularly instructive comparison. But even if you go back to the start of this current winning run in 2015, I think only six players who started that final against Kerry started against Cavan last night. So it's been almost a complete overhaul of the starting team anyway, but you still have the guys, Fenton, Kenny, you know, Dean Rock, who's been really, really good this season, supplemented by the guys who've come in over the subsequent years, Con O'Callaghan being one big name. Even a Paul Mannion on the bench last night, or on Saturday night, who couldn't even get into the starting team. Like, their their main men are really humming at the moment. Yeah, they are. And, you know, it's funny, like, watching them the other night, you're saying, well, look, there's no way Dublin are ever going to produce another Brian Fenton and Karen Kilkenny and Con O'Callaghan at the same time. But six or seven years ago, I would have said, look, the Brogans are, you know, the sort of freakish pair of brothers that only show up in a 
team every generation and you know Dermot Connolly and Paul Flynn at the time they looked irreplaceable around 2013 2014 they're probably two of the best five footballers in the country and they've managed to ease the transition almost without anybody knowing it's a new team without anybody paying attention and even the question over Stephen Cluxon like that's the one that people from Dublin will always say well when Cluxon goes it'll be a massive drop off but there won't like Evan Comerford is a really good goalkeeper and he's waiting in the wings and he's got full experience and he knows the scene so I think the average age of Dublin's outfield the other night was between 26 and 27. So, you know, and, and, and like <laughs> even players like Michael Darren McCauley, Keno Sullivan, Kevin McManaman, Paddy Andrews, Philly McMahon, like they're all now very, very bit part players. In some cases, they weren't even in 26 the other night. So those players who, who, who played a massive part in Dublin's decade, um, where they won seven All-Irelands, they could all, you know, retire of their own ilk over the over the off-season and, you know, when it comes to starting next year, it won't look like the squad is in any way diminished in terms of quality. So, like, that's definitely something that Dublin have at the moment. And look, watching Brian Fenton the other night, like, he's just, I think he's sort of gone to a different level now as a footballer as well. So that, that's, I mean, you want to equate it back to that kind of high-performance environment. When Brian Fenton came on the scene in 2015, you know, he was very good, but the, the level to which he plays now and the, the ease with which the Dublin players play this system, you know, like they, they look on the pitch at all times, like they know what they're supposed to be doing, what role every player is supposed to be um, executing. Um, and I think that's what makes them look even better again, you know. Um, the one thing I would say is that, the, you know, a few years ago we were all moaning that teams were defending with so many men behind the ball now. The, the tactical sort of nuances have changed an awful lot in football where every team is nearly playing the same. They don't really press and they don't really drop back. They track runners and they kind of, they, they squeeze players and shepherd the man in possession. Um, and I think that really suits Dublin because you get to a situation where there's no pressure really putting the ball carrier until they're in the scoring zone. Um, and you saw like three of Brian Fenton's points the other night. Once he beat his man, there was 10 yards of space behind him. All he had to do was go past one player and he had a shot on goal. So I think Dublin are sort of benefiting from the fact that they're a step ahead of all the, the rest of the teams and how they're changing, how they set up tactically. Um, and I, I would imagine that for Mayo in the All-Ireland final, they're going to have to do something much more severe. They're going to have to go after them like they did in 2017, make sure that every Dublin player in possession is coming under intense physical pressure because I think the way the game has been played at the moment by the vast majority of teams, I think Dublin are going to win every single time played under those conditions. Yeah, and if you look at even the shot chart where they're taking their shots from, they're all very, like, they very rarely kick an unbelievable score anymore. It might be a great team score, very well created with creativity and you know foot passing quick transfers. But in terms of the fit, the end product, it's often just you know 10, 15 yards in front of the post, which is as easy a score for an intercounty player as any. Michael, I says, well, what off Cavan that you know their great season beating Donegal? Like, was there anything they could have done differently? Do you think on Saturday night to make to make any any difference in the scoreline? No, very little. I just think. Uh... You know, balls that weren't turned over against Monaghan or Donegal were turned over the other night. Any small mistakes were badly punished. Uh, fairness to to Ray Galligan, I thought I thought his kickouts were generally brilliant, particularly in particularly in the first half. The couple of times where he did go astray, he was probably fairly badly punished. But uh, I I thought they put up great resistance. In fairness, they did as as long as they could. Connor kind of mentioned earlier. Um, it do, it does just kind of look like uh, at various stages in games, particularly you know probably the midpoint of the second half that Dublin are just able to, while other teams maybe drop off, not drop off a cliff, but they're 
their you know fitness levels and the speed which they're going at uh, maybe drops off. Dublin are able to maintain that for you know 75, 80 minutes, and and other teams aren't. Uh, I'd love to have I'd love to have Brian Cullen's blueprints of what exactly he's doing with them and what they've done over the last while because they just seem to be able to sustain their levels to uh, to levels that other teams just basically can't compare with. But from a cabin point of view, uh, they were uh, anything but disgraced the other night. Uh, in fairness to the handicappers, got it nearly right on the money again. They had Dublin at minus fourteen. Conor Costello's point tip, tipped them over the edge, uh, but Cavan were Cavan tried hard throughout. It's you know a real honest endeavour. Like it's been all the way throughout the year. They just came up against uh, a machine that looks unstoppable. Um, and doesn't look like anybody can stop them this year. Been honest with you. Um, you're hoping that Mayo can uh, get rid of the bad from yesterday and you know maintain the good and put up another kind of big score and hit the net a couple of times. But it 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 could be wishful thinking. But nothing from either of the provincial winners. Nothing can be taken away from what they've achieved this year. And they probably gave us the most magical Sunday. Um, like if you're looking looking back at championship days that you'll remember forever, this is probably one you're going to remember in fifteen or twenty years. The, the day Cavan won Ulster and the day Tip won Munster. No, definitely. And Martin, you know, in terms of yesterday's game, obviously Mayo had it well in hand. You know, at halftime, <clears throat> even before that. But it was it was an odd one on that. Like you know, Tipperary obviously got those early goal chances. You know, to their key men as well. You know, t- two misses that you know ought to have probably hit the back of the net. Could have maybe put a different complexion on the encounter. You know. Mayo, impressive in many elements, but to give up, I think Frank Roach counted up in today's papers, 10, 10 very good goal chances. Like, if that happens again in the final, there probably won't be much hope for them. Yeah, but it, 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 it won't happen. I, I don't, you know, I don't think you can sort of uh, uh, take one game and say the same thing would happen again. And I will just, I'm sure Michael Verley was only young at the time, but back in 19... 1980, uh, Kerry. Martin, I wasn't uh, alive at that time. I wasn't young. I, I wasn't even a thought at that time. Well, I tell, <laughs> I, can I tell you what happened? So, mm-hmm. Kerry um, beat Offaly. Offaly scored 4-10 against Kerry in, in the All-Ireland semi-final. Matt Collar had an outstanding day. I think he got 2-9 or something that day. But, uh, and everyone was making the point about that, uh, you know, if, if Kerry conceding four goals, they were the All-Ireland champions at the time. In the final, I think Roscommon scored one six against them. So games are different, and I, I, I think a lot of uh, towards the end of the game yesterday, the the and uh, Tipperary Mayo, I suppose, had switched off in terms of uh, uh, they weren't all that concerned about conceding the odd goal or two. They could have conceded goals early on, but it'll be completely different. And in fairness to Mayo, let's be fair, that they are the they are the first Division One team that Dublin will will play. And I mean, this is a Mayo. Uh, okay, the longest run of all in Division One. So they are they dropped out this year as it happened, but they are still a Division One team, and they will put up something hell of a lot different to Mayo than any of the uh, to Dublin than any of the other three. So I'd say I, it can be completely different, and Dublin know that as well. And you know, the, Mayo, whatever it is about their psyche, they can certainly put it up to Dublin the way others can't. There's absolutely no question of that. And they're in their fifth final, what nine years? So it's a fair achievement. Possibly take the, well, those arguments now and strong arguments that this is the best. Dublin is the best team ever to uh, play Gaelic football. Statistically speaking, they are. So Mayo, over the last number of years, they've still tested that double team more than anybody else. So possibly would have had two, three All Islands if, if they weren't up against arguably the best team of all time. So no, it's not. It's not at all a foregone conclusion in the final. And Mayo do bring something. They stand up physically to Dublin. They do bring something to that challenge that that others don't. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I don't think it'll be, uh, I, I, I think it'll be a very interesting final. That's, that's, it's by no means a foregone conclusion that uh, uh, perhaps uh, people think. 
Yeah, Connor. And just a word on Killian O'Connor's performance: four nine, you know, four three from play. Uh, a McSweeney said in today's paper that you know he couldn't be more of a marquee forward if he was an actual marquee. Um, you know, it was it was some performance, and he's had a really good year as well. It's probably been his best season. I know he had some knee problems over the last couple of years, but he seems to have used the lockdown to really get get healthy. And I suppose that's the kind of performance they're going to need. Maybe not four nine worth of scores, but you know, a big performance in the final probably from him. But he's had a great year. Yeah, he's. I think that's his fourth championship hat trick, which is incredible. Like the, he got one against okay uh, Limerick and London, but he got one against Donegal as well. So I mean, like he's a, he's a pure poacher, and I think what was most impressive, I think it was his third goal. If you remember, he he um, now the, the third one was this intercept. The second one where he hit the ball low and hard, he took a real hit just before that, and it didn't shake him at all. So physically, he looks even stronger than he was before. You know, he's not. A forward who's best with a naturally big frame, but I think for the size that he is, he's he's he's, he's bull strong now. Um, well, I think the big thing about Mayo is like if in every line of their team this year, there's a player with like you know before the weekend there were four players with only three championship appearances in uh, Mullen, Enda McLaughlin, um, Tommy Conroy, and um, Ryan O'Donoghue, and then in midfield Matthew Rowan only has a handful as well. So you know, I think last year. James Horan in the second half of the All-Ireland semi-final saw that athletically in terms of you know pace and power and everything else, Mayo had slipped a bit behind Dublin. And I think the changes that he brought in this year are deliberately an attempt to address that. And they look very, very athletic. Like McLaughlin is having a phenomenal year as a wing-back as well. And for a young player with only three championship appearances, he's really physically strong. Um, now, you'd be worried about a couple of players. Like Lee Keegan did not look hectic yesterday. There was one... Uh, situation in the first half when Michael Quinlevin had that goal chance that he should have scored where Keegan just stopped moving and I just wonder whether he's carrying a small bit of an injury but it may have looked to be in great form you know if, if they were playing any other team going into an all Ireland final that performance yesterday would put them going in as overwhelming favourites and I know it'll be talked a lot about over the next couple of weeks you know Mayo and All-Ireland finals and the sort of remarkable record of not winning one having been in so many finals but you know, the fact the players are now actually cocooning, you know, <laughs> they're going to have to stay away from the hysteria. People aren't allowed out, you know, they'll be totally sheltered from that. Um, and I think it'd be a very different build-up to an All-Ireland final. And I think just for the Mayo players themselves, particularly the new players, um, I think that would be to their benefit. Because, you know, you could tell with James Horan um, yesterday when he spoke after the game, he wasn't really entertaining any of that talk. He just said, look, these young players, they're not interested in the, you know, Mayo's record against Dublin they haven't won since 2012 you know in 2012 some of those Mayo players were 14 years of age you know or even 12 years of age you know it doesn't do anything for them so you know there's definitely an element of a new team about this Mayo side but within that I think you know Aidan O'Shea Paddy Dorkin Killian O'Connor their form is good enough to I think give them serious hope going into the final No it's definitely set up to hopefully be the most competitive game we've seen been involving Dublin in the championship. Michael, might give you the last word then. Tipperary, uh, I suppose, disappointing day considering a lot of people were tipping them to, get, to, get, to, to go close and they had all those goal chances that they didn't take. But like Kevin, I suppose, you can't take away that great provincial final performance. But ultimately, they might be a little disappointed uh, with how they played yesterday. No, I think they will be. I think David Power said they uh, they were hit with 3-6 on turnovers. And, you know, like Killian O'Connor's third goal is a real sickener. Liam Casey plays a ball... In fairness, uh, and Martin will say it's the oldest rule in the GA not to play the ball across your own goal. 
and they were punished. They were punished at the highest level. In fairness, uh, Brehany was hearing that when he was knee high to a grasshopper, and it's it's it's, it's still been said now. In fairness, but. Uh, I think David Power also said, and I think it's important for uh, for Tipperary. So they had everyone nearly back on board that they could have had could have had this year. They, they won't have Colin O'Reilly next year. It'd be interesting to see if Michael Quinlan and a few others go travelling, having you know their uh, travels cut short this year. But they've tend to uh, make progress and then regress maybe a small bit the next year, even after getting to the 2016 semi final. They were beaten by Cork, albeit very in a very close game the year after in Munster. So they'll be keen to kind of keep the graph fairly high. Um, they just left behind a load of chances yesterday as well. Sweeney should have had an early goal. Uh, in fairness, a great save by David Clark. It wasn't even seen, I'd say, on the first on the first uh, instance that there was even a block on it when uh, Quinlevin shimmied to his left. But you can't take away, uh, you know, a magical year for them where the stars really aligned. Quinlevin wouldn't have been around. Uh, Colin O'Reardon, if you had said that Colin O'Reardon would play in an All-Ireland semi-final in 2020, people would have thought you were mad. It just wouldn't have looked logistically possible um so still a, still a brilliant year and in fairness when you they'll probably lose a couple uh well potentially philip austin maybe brian fox are kind of getting towards the age but depending on when the inter-county season happens next year they could be able to hold on to those guys if it just rolls into the, another inter-county season in you know february or march but yeah like a, a, a mad year a mad year all told and in fairness, they, they, they went down fighting as well. A lot of things went wrong yesterday and they still put up a good show. And as Connor said earlier, scoring 313 in All-Ireland semi-final, you're probably expecting to be on the right side of the result. So absolutely uh, no shame in being beaten yesterday. Um, and they'll, like, they're never going to forget. They're never going to forget the events of two weeks ago in Park Tweed. Yeah, and hopefully uh, Tip and Cavan can, can really kick on in 2021. But for, in the meantime, we're, we're left with another Dublin Mayo final to look forward to. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. That's all we have time for on the throw and we will be back though later in the week with a podcast previewing the All Ireland Hurling Final. In the meantime you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud or listen on independent.ie So until later in the week, thanks for listening and goodbye. Old Gosh Energy Proud sponsor of the GAA All Ireland Under 20 and Senior Hurling Championships Hashtag Hurling to the Core